Welcome back to Stacktrace, the podcast that is about life and technology from two developers' perspectives. And this week, also about an Apple event, which I, John Sundell, am really excited about. And what about you, Mr. Guy Rambo? Are you excited about it as well? Yes, I am. Ready to do some California streaming. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a really, really good title. I really like it. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> really good. So before we dive into this uh, upcoming Apple event, which of course we will predict what we think Apple might announce in poker form like we usually do, uh, I would love to hear what have you been up to, Rambo? Sure. Uh, not much new since uh, last week. I've been still working on that new project. It's taking a long time. Uh, there, there are lots of little details and I haven't had full time to dedicate to that so stay tuned i released a new beta of my status buddy app which uh i'm probably going to be releasing to the app store if it gets approved <laughs> it got approved for test flight i guess that's a good start um so status buddy for those who don't remember it's uh this app that i wrote for the menu bar on the mac and it shows you when there are apple services that are currently having outages based on what Apple reports themselves. So if test flight is down, it's going to show you that test flight is down. And I've been working on this new user interface for it and getting it ready for macOS Monterey. And now you can beta test it. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Yeah, very cool. It's uh, really nice that you're using test flight for it now as well. And uh, hopefully you can get it into the App Store uh, I guess since it's using Apple APIs, perhaps they will have something against that. But like you said, since they approved it for test flight, that's a very good sign. I think if there's a problem with it, it's probably going to be that it displays the names of Apple services. Right. Not that it uses the API because they don't check like which APIs the app is using. Um, and that's public information anyway that, that's on the web. Uh, I guess it could be a problem because, hey... Uh, you're showing a bunch of names of Apple things. Uh, I hope not. Uh, we'll see. But otherwise, I have the direct distribution method that's been working since version one. And I'll probably keep doing that as well. So we'll see. Uh, keep an eye out for that as well. Probably coming out after Monterey is released for the public. But I've also been doing some work on AirBuddy 2.5, which is... This new version that I've been working on for Monterey. Uh, Monterey introduced a bunch of changes. It broke some things in the app. Uh, most of those things that had been broken have now been unbroken by me uh, <laughs> nice. in this 2.5 uh, beta. But this version also introduces that new transport mechanism for Magic Handoff, which we talked about. And I did the work for the transport part, uh, which we went into at length in the previous episode, but I also wanted to change the actual protocol that goes on top of that transport. So the transport is just shoving bits around over the network or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or whatever. That's transport. The protocol is what the bits are and what they mean and, and that's what i've been working on changing uh for the past few weeks nice yeah you've shown some videos with me like demonstrating how it works and things like that and it looks really nice and it also seems like you are able to achieve quite a significant speed increase with this new protocol and the new implementation and everything it looks very very smooth 
Yeah, I learned some new tricks since I, I've implemented the protocol for the first time. And this is aimed at, at fixing a, a bunch of issues and also making it faster. And a, a particular issue that I, I was able to fix with the new protocol, and I think I fixed it in, in a quite clever way, and in this case using clever as a, a complement, uh, because clever sometimes in programming is not good. <laughs> so um, th there was a problem with... Uh, the, there is actually a problem with the current implementation that's out there, where sometimes... Say I want to send my trackpad from my Mac Mini to my MacBook Air. I The first thing that the Mac Mini must do is to disconnect from the trackpad because it can't be connected to two Macs at the same time. Um, and the way it worked with the, the previous protocol or the protocol that currently is out there is the Mac will remove the device and disconnect from it and it will then send the device, uh, tell the other Mac basically, hey, grab this device, it's, it's out there, it's ready. The problem, though, is if the other end, for whatever reason, doesn't get the message that it should grab that device, or if it fails to grab that device, the device is basically in limbo. <laughs> it's just right. sitting there and nothing is connected to it, and now you basically lost control of the Mac Mini in this example, and you don't have control of the other device. And the way I fixed that, so there are two ways you can transfer a device using Magic Handoff. You can initiate the transfer from the device that's going to receive the accessory or from the Mac that's going to be sending. So I can say, hey, transfer my trackpad to this other Mac or hey, transfer this other Mac's trackpad to me. Um, and the way I addressed this was to basically not have those two separate ways of doing the transfer. From a user experience perspective, you can still do it either way. But from a protocol implementation perspective, it's always going to be the receiver that initiates the transfer. So even if I'm on my Mac Mini and I want to send my trackpad to my MacBook Air, I when I do that, what my Mac Mini is actually going to do is send a message to the MacBook Air saying, hey, please ask me to give you this device. <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> and that's what, what happens. So that way I only have one way of doing the actual communication uh, and uh, it's a lot easier to test even because I don't need to test the both scenarios as much because the actual negotiation is the same with only one extra step where the Mac will ask the other one. That's like the only extra step. It's uh, at the beginning. And uh, that way, if for some reason the communication has failed uh, and I've actually improved things so it should fail way less often, it will just not do anything, and but you keep control of the current uh, machine and you don't get that situation where the device is basically just sitting there. Yeah, that sounds like a much better implementation and it pretty much eliminates that limbo state that you talked about earlier where the original device cannot really be sure whether the new device actually got the message and is actually going to take over the peripheral or not right yeah. now you, when you have a single device in control of the entire transfer process that is 
probably going to be much, much more reliable. So yeah, that sounds like a pretty big upgrade. And it's very interesting, right? We talked about it on that episode you referenced, where when you're talking about these protocols and you have multiple devices talking to each other and they cannot be aware of everything going on, like they all only have a piece of kind of the whole system. It's a distributed system. That is really tricky. And I think the more you can end up in the situation where you're going to be in now, where you basically have one device in charge of any given operation and coordinating that operation, I think that is usually the best approach because you just end up with less different pieces of state that are on different machines that you don't have to synchronize. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this, uh, in my testing, it's been working really well and uh, should be on the 2.5 beta soon, I think. Uh, so my beta testers will be able to try that out. And I think it's going to be a big improvement. I have I have been thinking about some UI changes around it as well to make it a little bit more user-friendly. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited for this new version of the app to, to be released. But that will probably happen after Monterey, so we're probably talking late October. Yeah, exactly. Not to uh, show our cards too much for the poker game, but yeah, (laughs) usually uh, macOS gets released a little bit later than iOS every year, so that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I'm also excited about seeing this new version and for trying out this new version of Magic Handoff. Cool, and what have you been up to? So speaking about new versions of Apple's operating systems, Mm. I have been doing the yearly kind of final upgrade to iOS 15 for some of my clients' projects. And since now I'm using increasingly Swift UI for my client work, uh, that has involved a challenge that we spoke about also in the past, which has been that different versions of iOS have different Swift UI versions, and they interpret certain system components in different ways. And add to that also that Apple has changed quite a bit around navigation bars. It's it's kind of funny that we are now in iOS 15 and something so fundamental as navigation bars is still being iterated on. <laughs> but, you know, that that's also really cool. So there's this new behavior in iOS 15 that was on by default for uh, navigation bars with large titles in iOS 14, but that is also now being extended to all navigation bars in iOS 15. And that is that there's this scroll edge appearance. So if you're customizing the navigation bar in any way, you will have to assign some additional layout attributes to your navigation bar appearance if you want to customize it. And that is a way you can customize uh, navigation bars even when using Swift UI because it's all using UI navigation controller and navigation bars under the hood. Um, it's a bit of a fragile uh, setup because it does assume that SwiftUI is rendering your navigation stack using the UIKit version. Yeah. But in terms of kind of navigation and things like that, that's kind of the only way to customize a navigation bar unless you want to write it all from scratch. And that comes with its own set of problems. <laughs> so this is the way I've opted to do most of my navigation bar customizations in SwiftUI apps is to use the appearance proxy. So I had to make some changes around that. I had to basically go through and make sure that everything was working, make some tweaks here and there. So it's been a couple of weeks now of just kind of making sure that all the apps are up to date, that they run great on iOS 14 or in some cases 13 and also now on iOS 15. And when using SwiftUI, I will say it's maybe not more challenging than when using UIKit, but I feel like I have to go through and double check everything a little bit more because the system is is doing more of the re- actual rendering. So I want to make sure that everything, all the customizations and tweaks and things like that, especially when 
doing things that are perhaps a little bit kind of undocumented, like <laughs> using appearance proxies, uh, I had to make sure that all was working. But it hasn't been a huge amount of work. It's just been a lot of testing, a lot of kind of figuring out why something wasn't working and then finally fixing it and making sure everything was backward compatible. So now I am officially ready for whenever the release date for iOS 15 will be officially uh, announced and when the release candidates will be available. Nice. Yeah, so th that sounds good. And, and yeah, like you mentioned, you should really be careful when messing with navigation bars. Uh, I think many iOS developers have been bitten by that in the past. Uh, co customizing navigation bars to, to some extent is fine, like it's it's perfectly supported, but depending on what you're doing, things can go south very quickly. So <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Don't go like uh, too far into that and absolutely do not try to recreate navigation bars by yourself. It's just going to hurt a lot. Yeah, exactly. In this particular case, I'm only customizing like the font and things like that, mm -hmm. right? Like that's a very typical thing that a lot of apps want to do is they want to use their own font, even for the navigation bar. And using the appearance proxy then is so much simpler than like trying to hack that together some other way using SwiftUI or just using UIKit for all the navigation, which of course is another good option as well. But in this particular case that I'm talking about here, it was already using SwiftUI for all the navigation, so I didn't want to rewrite that for iOS 15, right? So yeah, it's um, it's been good. But it's also been a lot of places where now I can conditionally in iOS 15 use some system-provided new APIs. For example, there is new pull-to-refresh mechanisms, there is new... Uh, different APIs for co controlling focus and things like that that I've been able to leverage as well. So I've been able to conditionally adopt those new APIs on iOS 15 and then fall back to my previous implementation on earlier operating systems, which is just a nice way, I think, to kind of future-proof the code and also to start really using the system APIs because they typically have other kind of subtle behaviors and things like that that you can take advantage of while still providing, providing backward compatibility, which I definitely want to do. So it's always fun every year to do this exercise. It's like a yearly tradition for iOS developers. And typically my strategy is what I've been doing this year as well is to wait for, you know, not until the last, last minute, but start the process kind of a couple weeks before I suspect that the release candidates will be made available. I don't want to start too early in the beta process because then there's just so many changes throughout the summer and throughout the beta. So I'm, I'm very happy when, when I started right now, and this is what I've been doing for the last couple of years, and I will probably keep doing it. It's like starting in August to basically adopt the new um, system APIs and things like that. Yeah, what I used to do uh, when I was at the jobby job is when the first beta came out, I would install it and run the app and, and note any issues and, and file tickets for those. And then basically not look at it until, like you mentioned, a couple of weeks before. Because we know like it usually goes out mid-September. So if you start looking at it a couple of weeks before, you're probably going to be fine. Uh, and... I don't like uh, to jump into fixes right within like the first couple of betas because there are many issues that show up in initial betas that if you just wait for the beta process, maybe file tickets for those uh, to Apple, uh, when you try it again on beta 8 or 9 or the release candidates, it's going to be fine. Like Apple fixed your bug for you, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I've actually done 
something like that for everybody. I started the 2.5 beta process right as uh, the first beta of Monterey came out because there was uh, like a crash on launch of the settings app, which was bad. So I had to put out a beta for that. Um, but there was a major issue where changing listening modes wouldn't work on Monterey with everybody. And I had a look at it. It didn't look like a simple workaround was available for me. So I just filed the tickets to Apple and waited and um, kept uh, following up with that. But as of the latest uh, Monterey beta at the day that that we're recording, it hasn't been fixed. And uh, so like a week ago, I looked at it again and actually took the time to change my implementation to something that works on Monterey and to not wait for Apple, basically. But usually when there's something broken in your app in the first few betas, you can just wait or file a feedback and it will be fixed by the end of the beta process. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that can be good also to do earlier in the process is to just make sure that if you have some kind of nasty hacks and things like that and like real elaborate workarounds to make sure that those still work, that those haven't been broken. Because if you have an an app that is relying too much on specific implementation details, and I'm not talking about subtle things like customizing the font in a navigation bar, right? Like, because if that fails, the worst thing that can happen is that you will just render with the system font, right? Yeah. So it, it's it's not very high stakes. It's it's not a high risk. But if you have something where you really like are working around something on a very low level, and you know there's a risk that that could start crashing and so on, or really fundamentally break the app, then I would test that as early as possible as well, just to make sure and and keep an eye on it throughout the beta process. But you know it depends if we're talking about. UI glitches and you know making sure that the UI works still very well when building with the new SDK or if we're talking about more lower level kind of logic problems like those you probably want to identify and work on earlier and then the UI layer you can probably work on a little bit later like like I do typically in August and I also started like earlier with some async await stuff and kind of you know lower level things it's just now the last part has been like making sure the UI works seamlessly on iOS 15 as well which is I think a good thing to save till the later betas, to your point as well, because a lot of the bugs that you will see in the UI components are probably Apple's bugs to <laughs> do throughout the beta process. Yeah, definitely. That, that's a, a good approach. Cool. So now let's dive into our predictions for next week as we record uh, next week's Apple event, which is called California Streaming. It will probably focus on new iPhones and some new devices as well, but exactly what we are about to speculate about. And before we begin, let's do a quick recap of the rules. So when we play poker like this, uh, we are basically... Uh, betting on what we think Apple might announce and show at the event. Uh, We will do five rounds of poker, and during each round, we will each pick an item from a list that we've agreed on beforehand, and we can assign each item a bet from minus five to plus five points. And how that works is if you bet minus points, you are basically betting on it not happening. And if you bet plus points, you are betting that it will indeed happen. And then the other person also gets to make a bet as well, and they can choose whatever bet they want also. And you, dear listener, can also choose your own bets as well, because we will have a link in the show notes, which will be to a PDF, 
where our scores and our, or not our scores, but our bets, which will hopefully <laughs> translate into our scores if we're correct, uh, will be there and you can place your own bets as well, which is always a lot of fun to see people share those PDFs with us and what your bet are, bets are as well. That's always really, really fun to see. Uh, just some kind of details as well is that in order for an item to count, for a bet to count, it must appear in the keynote video stream itself. It can either be spoken or just shown or on a slide or in a video. It really doesn't matter, but it needs to be in the video stream. It can't be like in a press release or something after that or something we find out later. It needs to be in the actual video feed. And the fifth round that we'll do, so the final one, that is called the all-in round. And the way that works is that whoever makes the initial bet for an item needs to bet plus five on it. They can't bet anything else. It needs to be all-in, as they say in poker terms. Uh, But I think that's it for the rules, Rambo, or did I miss anything? That sounds good to me. Excellent. So do you want to kick things off and place your first bet? Sure thing. Let's go. Uh, And let's start with something about the iPhone. And my pick is that at least one of the new iPhone models will have a high refresh rate display, uh, so a promotion display. Uh, but if they don't call it promotion, they call it ProMotion Extra Plus XDR Lightning, whatever. I, I, I'm not, not betting on the name here. It's just that at least one of them is going to have a higher refresh rate display. Ultra Retina Smoothness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Do you also want to bet or maybe just mention what you think the actual frame rate will be? Not bet, but probably 120, just like the iPad Pro. I think it's easier, right, than using something else unless they haven't been able to get 120, but so many other devices or Android devices have 120 and even higher that I think it would kind of be a shame if Apple couldn't achieve that after so many years of people waiting for 120 hertz on the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. But just to clarify, you're not actually betting on that. That's not your formal bet. Your (laughs) formal bet is just that there will be a higher refresh rate screen. It may or may not be called promotion. Do I get that right? Yeah. And um, who knows? Like This is something that could not could be not included in the actual event video. I, I doubt it. Like I think if it does have it, they're gonna talk about it. But who knows? Uh, so you never know with these Apple events. They are kind of random as to what they choose to show off and, and not show off. So yeah, but I think at least one of them will have it. And for points, I'll give this a five. I think this is the year. All right. I'm going to go ahead with four just to keep the game interesting and also just to uh, be a little bit careful here in the beginning. <laughs> but I also do agree it's definitely about time. I would love to see a higher refresh rate screen in the iPhone. Um, I do think there is a chance that it will be 90 hertz instead of 120 mm. uh, because uh, in a phone form factor, you probably want to conserve battery life a little bit more. And they might also have an adaptive refresh rate similar to like what they have on the Apple Watch. Yeah, that's very likely. It might not run at 90 or 120 all the time because that's very wasteful. Like if you're just displaying a static image, it doesn't matter if you're displaying that at one frame per second or 120 frames per second. Uh, but I would really love to to have that. I think when you go from 60 to 120, it's like it's not as big of a jump as when you go from, for example, 30 to 60, but it is still 
much, much smoother when it's in motion. That's why it's called promotion, right? Yeah. Because when you're scrolling a web page, for example, or anything like that, or having an animation play out, having that higher refresh rate can be much, much, much smoother. So I would really love to see that. But I think it might be a slightly lower refresh rate just because also the screen is smaller. So I'm not sure if you need 120. And also, I think it there's a very high chance that it will be adaptive. By the way, I'm pretty sure the iPad one is also adaptive. Right. Uh, but it uses a different technology than the Apple Watch. I think the big deal with the Apple Watch is that it's able to go all the way to one hertz, basically, in order to refresh when it's in, in the always-on modes, uh, which we may or may not talk about during this poker episode. In fact, let's talk about it right now. Nice. <laughs> because it's time for my first bet, and I'm going to bet that... The new iPhone or any one of the new iPhone models, I should say, because, you know, there might just be one uh, that has this feature. But I think in one of the new iPhones, there will be an always on display to some capacity. Mm -hmm. And I just want to clarify that a little bit that I don't think necessarily the whole screen will always be on, (laughs) but that there will be some parts of it that will be on. For example, there could be something where like the notch area where you can see the time and your battery level and things like that, maybe that's always on, or maybe it can render your notifications as an always on thing. But I think uh, there will be some kind of always on component to the display, kind of similar to how it works on the Apple Watch. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a pretty clear sign that they're working on something like that. When you look at the lock screen on iOS 15, and you haven't been running the beta, but I have, and, and many people have, and they redesigned the way notifications look. They created this new grouped notifications where you can get like a, a summary of the notifications along the day. The new focus modes are also very interesting, and they could probably affect what types of notifications show up on the always-on display. The time-sensitive notifications thing is also something that could be used, where you can have every single notification muted, but if there's like a calendar appointment or, or a reminder or something, it will poke through, do not disturb, and show up in the always on modes. Maybe it could show just like a little icon. The time maybe could be always on in the lock screen. I think a lot of the changes that have been made to the lock screen on iOS 15 are probably working towards some form of always on display. Yeah, absolutely. I I really agree. And I should also say that I have been using iOS 15, especially lately, because it's very hard to do iOS 15 development without using iOS 15. (laughs) (laughs) But I I am not using it on my carry phone, like the Mm. one I use every day, right? Like that's... I think that's what you meant as well, right? Yeah, like yeah. my, I don't use it as my daily driver just yet. I'm waiting for the release candidate for that. Cool. And how many points? I'm going to give this one three. I am uh, I was struggling there between two and three, but I, I think I'm going to go with three. What about you? Four. All right. Interesting. <laughs> you're, you're really gambler today, Rambo. Let's see if it's going to pay off. <laughs> I certainly hope so. <laughs> awesome. All right. So that was our first round really focused on screens. Let's move on to round two. What's your second pick? I'm going to go a little bit more risky on this one. There's been this rumor about the iPhone having a new satellite communication technology. Uh, and we haven't talked about this. So basically you would be able to use satellite communication for emergency texts and and things like that. So let's say you're stranded in the middle of nowhere 
you try to send an SMS, you have no cell service, it would actually send the message using satellites. So literally sending your message up to space and back down to Earth uh, and, and in order to send it even with no cell service. Uh, and I think if this capability is on the hardware, it will be talked about during the event. Maybe it will not be released. Like it, it might be something where they announce it as coming next year or with a future update. Um, because I do think the rumors are that this is not ready to ship. But if the hardware is going to be there, I think they're going to kind of have to talk about it uh, to prevent leaks. So my actual bet is they will talk about this. They will announce this in some capacity during the event, some form of way a satellite satellite communication of one at least one of the new iPhones to send emergency texts. Yeah, it's it sounds really interesting and it solves some really concrete problems, especially if you're out hiking or you're out on sea or something like this, where you typically don't have a strong cell signal or a cell signal at all. Uh, my only question around this is cost because. Mm -hmm. Satellite phones have existed for a long time, but they are really, really expensive, right? Yeah. Like, you don't want that text message. I mean, if it's an emergency, it's an emergency, right? Yeah. But, you know, still, you wouldn't want that text message to cost you, like, a fortune, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering if Apple might be doing something here to mitigate that problem. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't think they would charge for it because that would be kind of yucky, right? Uh, overcharging to save your life. Although, well, that's oh, let's not get into that. But uh, <laughs> the, I, I think this could probably be something where it's heavily throttled, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, if you are, how often are you stranded in the middle of nowhere without cell service? Hopefully, not often. Um, uh, I, and hopefully, like uh, the, I think they also mentioned, like. Uh, important like emergencies like plane crashes and things like that like how often do you experience a plane crash again hopefully not often um so this could be something where like each device can send one of these messages per month or something like that like it, it will definitely be heavily throttled to some capacity but exactly how that works we'll have to see so you're thinking that it might work more like when you hold the side button and it can call the emergency services, like it call, can call like SOS services, uh, more like that than just like if your message cannot be sent with iMessage, it will offer to send it using text message like normally, and then it might also offer to send it using satellite. You're, you're thinking it's more like the former there, that it's an emergency service specifically rather than a fallback for normal text messages. Yeah, I think it will be too open, uh, right? Like, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense for Apple to let me use a satellite to send like a, an SMS to you. Hey, John, how are you doing? Like, <laughs> that would not be very good. So, so I think it would probably something where the, the type of message you can send is like pre-programmed or maybe it's just like the SOS thing where it like sends some form of electronic communication to the emergency services and, and to your emergency contacts, including your location and things like that. So I think it's probably more like that. It's a very kind of niche thing, but it's something where if they do release this between, say, 
this event and next year's March event or next year's WWDC, we're gonna see a video at the future event talking about five or ten people that have been saved by this. Like it's something where yeah, this sounds very niche and something that's gonna be used rarely, but if you find yourself in a situation where you need this and you have it, it's a, literally a lifesaver. Yeah, exactly. And Apple has been focusing on these types of features, especially for the Apple Watch lately, like personal emergency or like personal safety, right? Mm-hmm. Like things like the fall detection and those sorts of things, or even things like like the heart rate monitoring features and, and, and those sorts of features, like helping you in emergencies or or in health crisis and so on. So this would go right in line with that. And and I do agree, like, it's not a feature you get excited about. Like, uh, you know, it's not a feature we will use every day or something like that, but it's a feature that is, like, the more of these types of features that they can add that help you in these really awful situations, then the better, right? So, yeah, I I think this this could be an interesting feature to add. And uh, how many points will you bet on this? I will give this a two. And I'm going to give this one a minus one. Um, Mm. I think it just sounds uh, a little bit too futuristic in a way. I mean, I know that this technology exists, (laughs) but it's also like then the iPhone needs to have this specific antenna and so on. And to your point as well, it might be that they will add the antenna or or the radio, but they just won't talk about it. Because, for example, when they added the wideband initially... Yeah, Slide had like uh, the U1 chip in it, but that was basically it. So you might get that point for that, right? <laughs> uh, or they will might talk about it. I mean, who knows? But I'm going to bet, bet a minus one just to keep things interesting. Even though I do hope that this will come to the iPhone, I just see it as a little bit less likely this year. Cool. And uh, what do you think is likely then? <laughs> I think it's very likely that there will be a new Apple Watch, which mm. will feature a major new industrial design. Nice. And I'm actually going to combine two of our bets here uh, by specifying what I think this new industrial design will feature. Mm. And I'm going to go and say that I think there will be larger screen sizes compared to the Series 6. So I'm not going to bet on the exact millimeter screen <laughs> sizes. It, it's also possible that the size of the device itself will be the same but then the screen will go more edge to edge i mean there's not a lot of room on the current apple watch (laughs) but you know maybe they could shrink a millimeter here or there Uh, but i do think there will be a new uh, design that is similar to like the modern apple design language with these more flat edges that we've been seeing now across many of their different products over the last few years so a it's always hard when we say major new design because like how do you quantify that, right? But I think it's one of those, like, we'll know it when we'll see it, right? Yeah, I, I I, mean, the thing we always say when we talk about these design changes is you have to be able to tell just by looking at it and not from super up close. Uh, and I think that's a good measure. Like, if you'd see it on someone's uh, wrist, you'll know it's the new watch because it's going to be different. Right, you don't have to look at it under a microscope yeah. or look at the spec sheet or something like that. You can clearly tell, like, this is a new Apple Watch. And we know like sometimes it's hard to judge these things also because Apple always likes to talk about everything like it's brand new, even though it's the same <laughs> design they've used for three years. But uh, let's just say like, you know, we as external observers, we'll look at that and think that it's a new design. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and give this one a four. Cool. Um, I'm going to give this a five. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're more confident in my bets than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm spending all of my budgets here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's great. It's great to keep the game interesting and and also I'm happy that you're confident in this because, you know, that also shows that probably my bet is right too, which is great. <laughs> yeah, there are always all of these questions when we're speculating about what Apple might do and then when the rumors and leaks come out, but like the thing I've seen with this watch is Ah, it's just, it's just gonna look weird, or it's not gonna be comfortable on the wrist. But when you look at regular watches, most of them are not like don't have like this super rounded design like the Apple Watch. And I don't mean like the actual watch is round, like that that's a thing. But uh, depth wise, most of them are kind of boxy um, when you look at them. And the current Apple Watch has very rounded corners uh, and, and, and beveled edges. So I don't think it having this uh, industrial design that's uh, more like the current iPhones and iPad Pros, I don't think that's going to have a, a negative impact on comfort and, and looks. No, I don't think so either. And I think there's also a lot of room to make the device thinner yep. uh, without sacrificing uh, comfort or usability and things like that or battery life. I think it's uh, it's... The design has been more or less the same for a few years now, so it's. I think it's it's time for a little bit of a redesign. Even though it might be not be completely new, uh, it should be significant new. Uh, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the rumors talk about a new lamination technique for the display, uh, and I guess just with that you can shove off a, a few millimeters of thickness. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So that's our second round done. Now let's move on to the third round. But before we do, let's take a very quick break to thank this episode's sponsor. This week's episode of Stack Trace is brought to you by Declutter, which offers a smart way to buy and sell tech products. If you live in the US, then using Declutter is a fast, easy, and totally free way to recycle your current phone for cash. And just in time for the new iPhones, you can get extra cash for your phone when using the promo code 9to5Mac at checkout. With Declutter, you'll get free instant valuations without any auctions or fees, and you can then easily ship your items, also for free, from your closest UPS shipping location. You'll get paid the day after your items arrive via direct deposit or PayPal. Overall, Declutter pays up to 33% more than carrier buyback programs, and they will lock in your trading price for 28 days, giving you time to upgrade to a new device in the meantime. So head over to declutter.com, that's D-E-C-L-U-T-T-R.com, and enter the code 9to5Mac at checkout to get a special offer and a 10% boost in valuation up to $30 when you trade in your device. Once again, that's declutter.com and the offer code is 9to5Mac. Thanks a lot to Declutter for sponsoring this week's episode of Stack Trace. All right, Rambo, it's time for round three of our poker game. So what's your third pick? All right, I think this is an easy one. Uh, it's kind of boring, so I apologize in advance. But I think the new iPhones will feature a noticeably smaller notch than the iPhone 12 and, and all of the previous models. So the infamous notch is getting smaller in a way that's noticeable. So 
it might be a small change, like a, a, it will be smaller, but not that much. But you, it's the same with the redesign of the Apple Watch. You have to be able to tell just by looking at it. Yeah, this one is really interesting because the the API we have in code for dealing with the notch and for the home indicator at the bottom is called safe area insets. But the safe area insets is just a rectangular area where which is the, defines the safe area. But it doesn't define like a polygon, right? Like it doesn't define the ears, basically. Right, exactly, and it basically treats them as 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 out of bounds. But we know that there's quite a lot of apps, and also the system, of course, renders content sometimes in that area in the ears, including Chibi Studio. Right, and I'm I'm wondering how, if the notch will change in size because so far it hasn't. Uh, how might like apps need to deal with that? Do you think there might be a new API that we haven't seen or we will just need to figure it out based on the device? I think Apple doesn't want apps to use those areas. Apple actually has internal APIs, private APIs that they use to get basically the rect for the left and, and right ears, which is how they call them. The, so the space to the left and the right of the notch. Um, and there have been changes uh, with hardware that have impacted those apps in the past. Like when they released the iPhone XR, the ear size was different from the that of the iPhone X and with the XS Max as well. And the way that's usually worked is apps just have to deal with it. Like, it's your problem. Download the simulator and figure it out. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's basically what I have with Chibi Studio. Like, I have a little lookup table of iPhone model to ear size, basically. I, I don't remember exactly how it works. I'll have to remember how it works soon probably, because I yeah. have to fix it. <laughs> and I really hope that function is called something ear size. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, so basically, Apple's approach to this is you're not supposed to put anything in there. Even if you do, that's your problem. We're not giving you an API. That's their approach. All right. So how many points will you give this one? I'll give this a three. Uh, I... I am fairly confident that we will see a smaller notch. What I have a problem with is the noticeably part. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, because if it's just a millimeter, it's not going to be noticeable. Yeah, exactly. So we'll have to actually look at it to, to see if it's noticeable. So that's why I'm being slightly careful here. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and match this bet. Uh, this is the first time we're matching, so I think that's fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to match too many bets because then it becomes boring, but I think this one is is a good match here. So I'm going to also match your bet of three points. Cool. And what's your next pick? I am going to pick one that might seem like a safe bet, but, you know, you never know. And uh, that is that we will see a trailer for a new Apple TV Plus TV show. Mm. And when I say new, it doesn't necessarily have to be something we've never heard about before. It can be, for example, for Foundation or for one of the other TV shows that we know are coming up. We have heard about them before, but they just haven't been released yet. So I'm not talking about Ted Lasso or C or any of the other TV shows that are already out. I'm talking about a new TV show that hasn't aired yet, that there will be a trailer for it. Uh, which, you know, it seems like Apple, they are taking the opportunity on these events, even though this is probably going to be an iPhone-focused event, it, they are usually taking the opportunity to show some Apple TV Plus content because they know a lot of people are watching. And I think that's great. I think that's a great way to open. I certainly prefer a 
Apple TV Plus uh, trailer compared to like a retail update <laughs> <laughs> or, or charts about customer satisfaction. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and bet uh, five on this, actually. I think wow. it's, uh, it's something we definitely will see. Mm, this is interesting. Uh, so I think, it, like you mentioned, it sounds like a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, but but you actually did your bets as if it's actually a safe bet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, since you gave it a five, I'll give it a three. All right, yeah, sure. Just in case. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, there's there's really no rule around yeah. it, right? And, you know, there was a while where there was an AR update every single keynote. So if you would bet like five on an AR update or an AR demo you would always get those points, but then eventually there wasn't one, right? And yeah. then you lose those points. So it's it's a bit tricky with these things because it's all about like what they want to show and what the schedule looks like and and how many things they have to show and and to fit into that hour of the event. Uh, but I still feel like it's something that they probably want to prioritize given that they're still investing so much in Apple TV Plus and they're really kind of growing it and it's doing really well also. So I think it's something they really want to show. Yeah. Great. So that is round three. We have two rounds left, one standard and then our all-in round. So Rambo, what's going to be your final normal pick but your penultimate pick overall? I believe that a new iPad mini is going to be announced and this iPad mini is going to have a design that is similar to that of the iPad Air. All right. Yeah, so it's going to have the the round edges, the touch ID on the sleep wake button and, and all of that good stuff. So more iPad Air like rather than iPad Pro like, which of course is also very similar to the iPad Air, but the <laughs> iPad Air does feature that touch ID in the sleep-wake button, right? Which is a big yeah. difference compared to face ID. So no face ID in the iPad mini, but rather touch ID through the button. Yeah, just like the iPad Air, uh, which was based on the iPad Pro, but I guess for cost, they didn't put the face ID in there. And also like the iPad Pro has to have some some things that are different about it, right? So yeah, and uh, I, I think... Again, there, there's this confusion sometimes. Many people think of the iPad mini as like a low-cost iPad, but I definitely don't think that's the case. I think it's just a small iPad and doesn't have to necessarily be the cheapest iPad. I think the cheap iPad is the iPad nothing. So the, the iPad that's just called iPad. Um, and I, I think that could, that could even be called the iPad SE maybe because it uses like the old design language and then usually an older processor but i think they they want the ipad mini to be a really great ipad as as good as the ipad air but with a smaller footprint for those who prefer a smaller ipad so i think that's what's happening yeah absolutely i i, th I think so too and it's kind of interesting, like this new design language that we're talking about, which it seems like they're moving towards across their entire product lineup, more or less, like it's a little bit kind of featureless if you think about it, like it's making the overall design of the devices simpler in a way, like uh, going kind of more back to basics to a more basic shape. And if we imagine all the devices then moving to that design overall, then it's kind of going to be going from the iPhone mini all the way to the iPad Pro, like the largest one, that's going to be like, the devices all look the same, but they're just all different sizes of screen. So yeah. at, at the end, it kind of becomes like, there's no real difference between the iPad and the iPhone. Like the the edge between those two 
product categories kind of gets blurred, right? And you're just moving from a small rounded rectangle all the way up to a large rounded rectangle. Yeah, and then that's uh, why I think they should change the names. Like, I really think the the iPad should be called iPad SE. Since they have the Apple Watch SE now and they have the iPhone SE, which they have updated, I think they should like adopt a similar naming scheme for all of their products, like the iPad Pro Max, maybe, for the large iPad. I, I don't know, but... Uh, I'm not saying I like this naming scheme, but at least they should be consistent about it. Yeah, I think so too. They could just name them like device A, device B, C, <laughs> D, all the way up, right? Because they all become kind of just a spectrum of devices, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so in terms of points, I'll go with a three for this one. All right. And I'm going to give this one a two. Uh, I I know that we've heard some rumors around it as well, and I I would love to see something like that. It seems like a really interesting product. But, you know, the iPad mini is one of those, just like the Mac mini, which is like sometimes it goes several years be- between updates, and, and that just seems to be the standard. So it's, it's kind of hard to tell when we will see it. And it's also possible that there will be no iPads at all at this event, and the iPads will instead be shown along with Macs at a future event, like later... Uh, in the fall in the northern hemisphere, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see what's what's gonna happen. But yeah, I, I can bet a two on this one. Cool, and uh, now it's your last normal pick. All right, so uh, I'm gonna go back to the iPhone here and bet that the new iPhone lineup will come in four variants. That's the same as last year's lineup. So we will have a mini, we will have a standard or like a there's no suffix. We'll have a Pro and a Pro Max. I'm not actually going to bet on the number, um, if it's going to be iPhone 13 or iPhone 12s or maybe just iPhone. Um, there's this thing, right, where 13 is considered an unlucky number in uh, yeah. certain cultures. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because different numbers are considered lucky or unlucky in different parts of the world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they will go with 13. I mean, iOS 13 was not maybe the greatest release like we've talked about. So <laughs> maybe they feel even more uh, scared of the number 13 than they were before. I don't know. But uh, let's just say iPhone 13, but I'm not betting on that. I am betting on that there will be four variants with the same kind of uh, configurations as last year. So mini, standard, pro and pro max. And I'm going to give that one a five as well. Yeah, there's no way I'm not matching that. That's a five for me as well, because uh, this is, I think this is pretty clear. Uh, there's been some talk about the Mini not doing so well, but all of the rumors and analyst reports we've seen point towards, at least for this year's iPhone, we will see uh, a Mini still. And it might be something that they start updating just every two years if, if they want to keep it or maybe they, they're just going to toss the idea. It's like a Netflix uh, TV show it at least gets two seasons before it gets cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, like you mentioned, uh, it, it's tricky with the name, but I think they're just going to call it iPhone 13. Like, I think not as many people in, in the world are s- superstitious to the point where they would not buy the iPhone just because it's called 13. So I, I think... That's gonna be it. I don't. I I think the S is dead, John. I I don't think the S is coming back. No, I I I don't think so either. And I think part of that is that funny thing where there was this fight between Samsung and Apple for a while, like who had the biggest number of the phone, <laughs> because a bigger number does make it seem like it's a more modern device, right? Yeah. Like. Uh, 
the higher the number, the better. Uh, so I think by doing an S version every second year, they are maybe in some views or angles making it seem like the phone is older than it actually is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also just more clear, like just use integers, increment by one every year. It's it's simpler. Plus equals one. That There you go. Yeah, definitely. Great. So now we have arrived at the final round, the all-in round, where whoever makes the bet needs to bet plus five. The other person can still bet whatever they want, but the person making the bet needs to go all-in. So Rambo, what are you going all-in on this time? I am going to go all-in on that no Macs are going to be announced at this event. I don't think it's the time for that. Uh, the the Macs are usually introduced in October, and I think this is going to be all about iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And especially now that they've moved to these uh, video events that are pre-recorded, they can do them in a way that has a different format. And we've already seen this now. They're, they've been doing these, these ones now for a while, and they can do like two events instead of just doing one. And in that way, having the events be more focused because they're more like video press releases than they are actual events where people are coming from all over the world there and they they might feel like they need to fit more things into one event they can just do two videos right yeah so i think that makes total sense so i'm gonna go ahead and also go all in even though it's your all-in round <laughs> and also bet five on that one cool and uh, what are you going to go all in on because you're forced to and not because you want <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna pick one that is um another one just like the trailer pick i picked earlier it might seem obvious but i'm not sure if it is so I'm going to say that when talking about the new chips that are powering the new devices, that Apple will refer to them as Apple Silicon. So I think they, mm. they are going to double down on this term Apple Silicon that they started using when they introduced the M1. And I still think they might say that it's called like the A15 or something like that, right? Like a, just keep that kind of naming convention and not call it like the M1 or M2 or something. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, but I think they want to emphasize that this is Apple Silicon. It feels like that's really important to them. And it might just be in passing where they say it like, oh, we have a new Apple Silicon chip for the new phones. Or oh, it's powered by the new Apple Silicon chip, the A15 or something like that. But I do think that they will refer to it as Apple Silicon. And yeah, I, ha I can't choose my own bet here. So it's going to be all in. It's going to be plus five. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, Apple Silicon received so much praise from the, the tech community in general, even people who are not Apple users. Uh, everyone seems to agree that Apple Silicon is great. I mean, not like people have to agree, like there are benchmarks and, and like there are facts about it being really good. And I think Apple wants to take advantage of that free publicity to like say, hey, the iPhone is Apple Silicon as well, and and so is the iPad and the Apple Watch, and that creates like this uh, impression about the the chips running on these devices that that can gain a lot of attention from the attention that the the Max received for the Apple Silicon chip. So, uh, just to keep things interesting, but not too much, I'll give this a four. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I think it's it's very likely that they will really continue with the Apple Silicon phrasing. And I think also it's it sounds cool, right? Yeah. Like it's Apple Silicon. It sounds nice. So yeah, I think that's it's very likely. 
Uh, and that wraps up our official picks for our poker game for the California streaming event that is streaming on the 14th of September 2021. And of course, we will be back right afterwards with the results and our analysis and talk about the announcements and things like that. Um, but before we wrap up this episode, Rambo, I have a few more things that I would love to discuss with you. And one of them is this, that Apple have been under quite a lot of controversies lately. Like there's been a lot of controversies around the App Store and and things like that. And they've gotten a lot of bad press re- recently. And there has been moments before when they've been in similar situations. For example, when there was that situation with the FBI, where the FBI wanted them to unlock an iPhone and they didn't want to do that. And they there was all this, this press about it. And they actually took some time during one of their keynotes to address that. So I'm, I wanted to ask you, this is not a bet or anything like that. You don't have to give it points. <laughs> but I want to ask you, do you think that Apple might be using this situation to address some of these controversies that have been bubbling up lately? I don't think so. Um, when they did the FBI thing, Apple was in the right. Like, they were right in that case. But in the recent cases, they're wrong. They, they might think they're right, but I think the overwhelming majority of the people who will be watching this event are not buying Apple's excuses anymore uh, and what they say about this. Uh, so I don't think they would do it. Like with the FBI, I think, it was, I think it was a different situation. And I think it was like the only time this has happened, at least in, in recent memory. Uh, usually when there are these controversies, they try to get all of the news out before the event and they don't mention anything during the event because they know that people are watching and they know the type of people who are watching and they don't want to bring attention to to that matter during the event they want to show off the new products and that's it yeah yeah i i I do agree with that and also they've been doing a lot of press releases lately right and the press releases that then um, clarify their previous press releases and <laughs> things like that. So there's been a lot of things lately. So I think it might also have been because they wanted to get all of those things kind of done, even though they're not going away. But, you know, Apple might be hoping that at least we will focus on something else while watching the event, that we will focus on the actual products. Yeah. Uh, but it also is really tricky because, you know, sometimes they might need to address something just to not appear ignorant or that they are not like listening to feedback and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So it it is probably a really tricky balance there, but I I do also think that given the press releases and the focus on that, that they will just focus on the products for this video. Yeah, I think when they want to address it is when they're being accused of something that they're not doing. Like with the FBI case, the story was Apple is helping terrorists. Like it's hard to not take your time during an event to address that. Uh, when you know that people are going to be watching. And when you know that there are people in the larger public who believe that, and you know that there are a lot of people on your side that do not agree with that statement, I think that's that's when they will take the opportunity to talk about it. But with the recent events, like pretty much everyone is against Apple in, in the whole App Store <laughs> thing. Uh, and uh, the whole CSAM situation, they have postponed that officially. So they kind of got that out of the way as well, at least for now. So they don't need to address it either. So yeah, I don't think any of the recent controversies are going to be addressed. Right. 
And we didn't bet on any AirPods rumors, and there's quite a lot of AirPods rumors around that there will be some new uh, AirPods product, like a um, version of the standard AirPods that looks more like the AirPods Pro. Uh, I think this is something that we both have been betting on a few times now, <laughs> and we've been losing that, so maybe we've just been a little bit more careful now during this game, or how come you didn't pick that? I actually do think there's going to be new AirPods announced during this event, I think that's likely. Uh, just didn't get to it during the game, and there were things that I think are more likely. Uh, so I think it's still possible. Uh, and ironically, it will probably happen, given that we didn't bet on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you bring an umbrella, it doesn't rain. Exactly. <laughs> we took we took one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see what they do with, with the regular AirPods. Uh, probably gonna look a little bit more like the Pros. But none of the features of the pros, of course, because the, the pros are the pros for a reason, right? Right, exactly. And another thing we didn't talk about is uh, the camera, which is usually a very big focus for the new iPhones, like the camera features, and they usually spend... It feels at least like the majority of the time when talking about the new products, they're talking about the camera or related features around the camera. So do you have any kind of things you're expecting this year around the camera system, anything like that, or, or what kind of lenses that the new iPhones might feature and things like that? Yeah, you can always bet that there are going to be improvements to the camera, right? <laughs> there, there's always something like that. Uh, I think... I think maybe the um, new optical stabilization that they introduced in the iPhone 12 Pro Max will maybe come to the regular Pro as well. Maybe they figured mm -hmm. out a way to do that. Um, and other than that, uh, there's been rumors about portrait mode for video, which should be pretty cool if it works. Uh, and also, I think something about taking pictures of um, the moon and then other types of um, celestial bodies. Uh, so I think those features... Star mode. Yeah, star mode. <laughs> so I think those those would be cool, definitely. And I mean, there's always like, uh, oh, there's this new sensor and this new image signal processor and the lenses are faster and, and stuff like that. So uh, you can always bet on they are going to talk about the cameras. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And finally, the final thing I wanted to kind of just discuss here that we had on our list of picks but we didn't get to talk about is I had this bet that I don't think any of us were going to pick, but it said that the new iPhone will run the M1. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, after they added the M1 into the iPad Pro, I just felt like, you know, they were really capitalizing on that name and on the, you know, the whole success story of the M1. And since the iPhone tends to run... I mean, the new iPhones tend to run a new generation of the chip, so it will probably be like a new generation of the Apple Silicon that then the next M chip will also be based on in some capacity. But I was just thinking that it would be funny if like first the Mac got M1, then the iPad got it, and now the iPhone also runs the M1. It's kind of like going back to iPhone runs OS X, but it's like iPhone runs M1, <laughs> uh, which you know I don't think will happen, but it's just an, an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. I'm not sure if they're going to go with the that name for uh, the iPhone, um, but maybe for the pros, maybe? I, I mean, who knows? Uh, but yeah, it's definitely interesting to think about. It could be something where like a pro phone requires a pro chip. So we put the M1 in the iPhone 13 Pro. The press release writes itself. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it, it wouldn't be the M1 though because the uh, it's gonna be the A15. So yeah, uh, and I mean the A15, not as in the name A15, but the actual A15 car, the ch- ship that has the A15 cars. So it can't be the M1 because uh, yeah, so it would have to be the M2 or the M1X. But then they haven't announced the Max yet that run those chips. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's gonna be A15. Yeah, probably. And that wraps up our poker game for the California streaming event. I think we're both going to stay tuned and watch the event. And like we mentioned, there will be a scorecard in the show notes where you can fill in your own bets and please share them with us. Post a screenshot on Twitter and at mention us. We love to see your bets as well and what you thought of our bets and what you think Apple might be releasing next week. It's always really fun to speculate around these things, especially when there are so many possibilities and there haven't been any really super concrete leaks this year. So it's always a lot of fun to see what will be in store. So um, that's it for this week's episode. We will talk to you again after the Apple event next week and talk about what actually did get announced. But until then, thanks a lot to our sponsor for this week, Declutter. Thanks a lot for listening. And say goodbye, Mr. Rambo. Goodbye.